thank you very much, Luke. Uh, now I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> that was really, really good. Hey, welcome everyone on this Labor Day weekend. Uh, glad you are joining us uh, as we continue on in our Mark series. Well, if you have not noticed, uh, we are living in very divisive times. We have people arguing about masks. There are people arguing about race. There are people arguing politics. And now there are people arguing about this. Please give your attention to the screen. Okay, and then you, okay? I promise I won't take up too much of your time here. My name is Ander Christensen. Uh, I live at 1212 Twin Ridge Road. Lincoln has the opportunity to be a social leader in this country. We have been casually ignoring a problem that has gotten so out of control that our children are throwing around names and words without even understanding their true meaning and treating things as, as though they're normal. I go into nice family restaurants and I see people throwing this name around and pretending as though everything is just fine. I'm talking about boneless chicken wings. <laughs> I propose that we as a city remove the... Excuse me, I'm trying to... Yeah. Excuse me, come on. I propose that we as a city remove the name boneless wings from our menus and from our hearts. These are our reasons why. Number one, nothing about boneless chicken wings actually come from the wing of a chicken. We would be disgusted if a butcher was mislabeling their cuts of meats, but then we go around and pretending as though the breast of the chicken is its wing. Number two, boneless chicken wings are just chicken tenders, which are already boneless. I don't go to order boneless tacos. I don't go and order boneless club sandwiches. I don't ask for boneless auto repair. It's just what's expected. And then number three, we need to raise our children better. Our children are raised being afraid of having bones attached to their meat. That's where meat comes from. It grows on bones. We need to teach them that the wing of a chicken is from a chicken, and it's delicious. I propose that we rename boneless wings in the city of Lincoln. We can call them buffalo-style chicken tenders. We can call them wet tenders. We can call them saucy nugs or trash. <laughs> we can take these steps and show the country that where we stand and that we understand that we've been living a lie for far too long. And we know it because we feel it in our bones. Thank you. Okay, wait a second. I'm on the boneless chicken wing side of this argument. Uh, I love them. All right, I, I can go with Saucy Nugs, though. Uh, Ander Christensen is a 27-year-old uh, chemical engineer living in Lincoln, Nebraska. That was his wife behind him laughing, uh, and his dad is one of the uh, city council members. Uh, so after that little portion, dad pulled down his mask and said, uh, for the record, that's my son. Um, now, I'm not going to be able to make you laugh today like Anders did, but uh, I, I show that today because he's obviously convicted of something very, very important, that boneless chicken wings are an abomination to our society. I today have a conviction, and I'm probably even more convicted than Anders is about boneless chicken wings. Almost every single Sunday when I have an opportunity to preach here at Riverwood, you hear me say that we are called to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. I am convinced the longer I'm in ministry, the longer I watch the news and see what's going on in our world, that our world desperately needs Jesus followers who will love like Jesus loved. That's part of why we're doing this series through Mark. We are intentionally looking at the life and purpose of Jesus, seeing who he was as a person, hoping that some of what he did in life rubs off on us and it comes through in our daily living. 
Now, we've seen Jesus do some things that we can't do. Uh, today, we're going to see Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. We're also going to see him uh, heal someone from a 12-year disease. When you leave today, I, I don't expect you thinking, okay, i got to find a dead person. i got, I got to raise them. But I do hope you'll leave today saying, man, did you see the way Jesus loved? I think if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm called to love the same way. Today, we're going to see how Jesus loved. So if you have a Bible, would you open it up to Mark chapter 5? We are going to finish up Mark chapter 5 as we look at these two miracles. Uh, we are going to be reading from verses 21 down through 43. If you are a first-time guest with us, whether here down at Drosti or you're joining us online, uh, we open up the scriptures every single week. And so we highly encourage you, get a Bible into your hands. Now, if you don't have one today, don't worry about it. I'm going to have a, uh, the scripture up on the screen for you. But we really want you to have one. Now, at Riverwood, we don't care if that's a paper copy or a digital copy. Just get a Bible into your hands. So if you've got a phone, please go ahead and download one to it. Uh, if you want a paper copy and just don't have one, we will gladly mail you one. We've got high quality paper Bibles. Just give us your name and your address and we will mail one to you and, uh, and that way you can make it your everyday Bible. As we get ready to read Mark 5, 21 through 43, let me pray. So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that through your spirit you would uh, teach us, you would help us to hear and, and to become more like Christ. Uh, Lord, help us to see very vividly but Lord, don't let us just kind of see these things and learn them. Let us actually do them and adopt them. May these become a part of our lives, just the, the patterns and habits with which we go about our daily living. Because Jesus, you love the people of this world. You died for them. You died for us. And so we want to go and love them like you love them. So Lord, open our eyes now to what you need to teach us. Soften our hearts. Uh, and Lord, I pray for anyone that's listening to this, that there is someone in their life that is really, really difficult to love. I pray that you will help them to really hear that the, that the things that are said in this that we see in Jesus don't actually turn them off to you, but, but actually compel them and challenge them to, to do what you're calling them to do. Because God, our world is so divided. We need people who will love like Jesus. So Lord, help us to hear it now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, verses 21 through 43. Please silently read along as I read aloud. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a quick uh, caveat for those of you who haven't been joining us, we saw Jesus on one side of the Sea of Galilee, he was in a storm, and then he's gone to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he, uh, healed a man from a, a demon named Legion, we saw that last week. Now they got in the boat and they've come back to the other side, and that's where we begin. All right, so they get to the other side, and a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Well, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, seeing Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, Jesus, went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself what the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, 
came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now today, because we want to see how does Jesus show love in this passage, I want us to go about it by looking at some of the, uh, like, use investigative questions, all right? So the how, what, when, why type of questions, all right? So the first thing we're going to ask is, who did Jesus love, all right? Who did he love in these two stories? The first person we meet in the story outside of Jesus is a guy by the name of Jairus. What we learn about Jairus is that he was the synagogue ruler. As a synagogue ruler, it means he would have been very prominent in his society. It, it, in uh, a Jewish culture, the religious leaders would therefore be the ones who'd be, you know, recognized. And so this guy was probably well-respected. He probably was fairly wealthy. But he also probably had heard the negative skepticism about Jesus. I, I've been in ministry long enough to uh, kind of learn that there are tribes within Christianity. And some of these tribes, you know, like there's your progressive tribe, maybe your reformed tribe, there's, uh, you know, your charismatic tribe. I mean, there's all these tribes, and each of our tribes have heroes and villains. And, and it's pretty easy to discover who in a certain tribe is a tribal hero or a tribal villain. All you have to do is drop the name of some celebrity Christian, and the person who's part of this tribe will either smile and their eyes will get delighted and you realize this is a tribal hero or kind of get this concerned look, you know, the brows are furrowed, they're kind of like, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable with that person and thus you've discovered their tribal villain. It could be a megachurch pastor, it could be a, a, a book uh, author, it could be a musician, but they will determine if that is a tribal leader, uh, uh, I mean a tribal hero or a tribal villain. Jesus is a tribal villain to the Pharisees. We've already seen in the book of Mark how Jesus has already been seen as, oh no, he's trouble. For instance, the first time we saw it was, I think it was in, Matthew, um, in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is teaching in this house. Some guys bring a friend who is paralyzed on a mat and, and they can't get into Jesus. And so they find a way up onto the roof, they rip a hole in the roof, and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. But instead of looking at the guy Jesus, and saying, you're healed, Jesus looks at the guy and says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisee leaders who were in the room, they basically looked at him like he was crazy. Only God could forgive sins. I mean, who is this? Who does this guy think he is? We also saw it in Mark chapter 3. Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's this man with this shriveled hand. And Jesus frees him, heals him of it, and they get mad. They're like, there's six other days in the week where you can heal. 
don't do anything on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And it even says there in Mark 3 that they began to plot with the Herodians how to kill him. Jesus is a tribal villain to the Pharisees. And even though the text doesn't say, I can guarantee Jairus has heard the rumors. But yet, he's got a little girl who's dying. He's probably taken some of his wealth and tried to take her to the doctors and they, they can't make her better. He's probably prayed and prayed and prayed. I mean, he's a religious leader. He's probably, you know, laid hands on her or maybe anointed her with oil. I mean, he's done everything he knows how and nothing's working. And so even though he's heard the negative rumors about Jesus, even though this is a villain, he's heard about the miracles. He's heard about the guy's hand. He's heard about the paralyzed man walking. He's heard about it all. And he wonders, just maybe he can heal my little girl as well. So Jairus risks it all and arrives at the sea. The crowd begins to see him and they begin to part for him because this respected member is coming up to Jesus and he comes to Jesus and says, will you come heal my little girl? What does Jesus do? Does he look at him and say, oh, I'm not coming to help you, you Pharisees. You guys are having all this simple gossip about me. No way. Does he look at him and say, okay, I'll come, but you have to apologize to me on behalf of the Pharisees for all the mean things you've been saying about me? Does, does he say, oh, you know what? Why don't you pay me and show me in good faith that you're actually for me, that this isn't some sort of trick, and, and yes, then I'll come. No, he doesn't do that at all. He looks at Jairus and says, all right, yeah, let's go. He loves this rich, prominent man. Now, I suspect many in the community were thinking, well, of course he'd go and help this guy. I mean, everyone likes Jairus. But notice who he loves next. The next person we meet is this woman. All we learn about her is that she's been bleeding for 12 years. We don't know her name, which is really unfortunate, because she displays amazing faith here. Jesus really, like, raises her up. I wish we knew her name. Instead, we learn that she's got a disease. The, the way the text reads, it's basically she's had her period for 12 years solid. As a guy, I have no idea what that is like. Being married for 26 years, I've kind of figured out these you women don't really enjoy your period. 12 years constantly? No wonder she's looking for help. Because you see, by this bleeding, it made her spiritually and ritually unclean. Which meant she couldn't go to the temple to worship. In a, in a culture ruled by the religion, this would have put her immediately out on the fringes. Also, according to Levitical law, by having a bleeding, she's not supposed to be touching anyone. So she's got to, like, stay away from people. So this means she's probably not married, has no kids. She's probably as alone as you can get in their culture and society. No one wants to be around this unclean woman. So she's disconnected from her God. She's disconnected from her, her community. She just longs to be healed. She longs so much that she's gone to doctor after doctor after doctor trying to get healed, and yet nothing has worked. In fact, the text says that she's actually gotten worse. So she has no money. Her health is worse. She's at the end. And she comes to the crowd, and she touches Jesus' clothes. And immediately, she's healed. Now, does Jesus stop, look at her, and go, Woman, why are you interrupting? We're on our way to heal a little girl. How dare you? You should have just followed along. After I take care of the little girl, I can then deal with you. How selfish of you. No. 
He pauses, draws her out, and praises her. He loves her in that moment. Which shows us, Jesus loves the rich, prominent guy, and he loves the poor, totally ignored woman. He loves the dad and the childless lady. He loves, regardless of, of income, of background, their story, how, how, wherever they're at, he loves them. If, and if you throw in the little girl he raises from the dead, we've got multiple ages here. In other words, Jesus is for all. And if you're going to love like Jesus loved, you're going to have to show love to all as well. Now, some of you are saying, oh, but, but, but Aaron, there are certain people that are engaging in certain activities. I, I can't love that. This past week, Zion and I were reading a, a Sky Jatani uh, devotional. He's got this devotional called uh, With God Daily. And in there, he was talking about the parable of the prodigal son. And he says that sometimes what we do is we confuse God's embrace with God's endorsement. When the prodigal son who had taken his dad's money, taken his inheritance, gone off and wasted it and comes back, the dad runs down the road and embraces his son. But the dad is not going, you spent my money on wild living. Oh, I'm so proud of you. No, do not confuse God's embrace with God's endorsement. So if Jesus is for all, you can be for all as well. It doesn't mean you give an excuse for everything they do, but you can say, God loves you, so therefore, I love you. So who does he love? He loves all. Second question we're going to look at is, where and when does Jesus love? Where and when? Well, the quick answer is right here, right now. When, when Jairus shows up, uh, Jesus does not look at him and say like, oh, hey, I'm preaching here on this edge of the Sea of Galilee. Why, why don't you guys just kind of, you know, wait a, a little bit. Let me finish my sermon, and, and then I'll come take care of your girl. Uh, and he doesn't look at him and go, oh, <laughs> I forgot. We're scheduled to head off to, you know, Gilead or, or Nazareth. Right? You know, we're heading off to all these other places. Um, tell you what, I think we're free, like, the Friday in two weeks. Can, can we pencil you in? No, Jesus looks at him and says, all right, let's go. Let's do it. Right here, right now. He doesn't make him wait. But you're, you, if you're really observant, you might go, whoa, time out, Aaron. He, he actually does make Jairus wait. Because when the woman touches him and heals him, Jesus makes everyone wait. Well, very observant. But you're actually making my point even further. Because when the woman shows up, Jesus does not look at her and say, hang on, you should have checked in with Peter. He could have gotten you on the calendar. We could have taken care of it then. No, right then, right away, he loves her. Right here, right now. Now, this means you need to love right here, right now. But you, you, if you know your scripture, you're going to say, yeah, but Aaron, there's stories where Jesus actually makes other people wait. Okay, yeah, you're right. Very observant. Jesus makes Lazarus' family wait. If you know the story where Jesus' friends, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, Lazarus was very sick. And so Mary and Martha sent word to, uh, uh, to Jesus and basically say, hey, can you come heal Lazarus? So Jesus uh, says, yeah, I'll come. But the text tells us that he intentionally waited two days. Two whole days before he says, yeah, I'll come and I'll heal. And then Jesus finally says, ah, you know what? We're going to go take care of Lazarus because he's fallen asleep. And the disciples are like, whoa, Jesus, falling asleep. Like, that, that's actually a good thing. I mean, that, that means he's going to get healed. And Jesus goes, ah, guys, I'm using a metaphor. Huh? It means he's died. And I'm going to go raise him from the dead. 
And when he shows up, Mary and Martha are like, if you'd just been here. But you see, when Jesus waited, he had a purpose and intention behind it. Oftentimes when we wait, it's really out of selfishness. You see, sometimes we, we don't love unless it's convenient. If it fits our schedule, if, it, if it's going to be easy, not, not too big of a deal, then I'll go and help someone. But if it's, if it's inconvenient, if my, my calendar's really full, I'm going to, sorry, I, I got to set you aside. Can I pencil you in in two weeks? Instead, Jesus loves right here, right now, as he can, as he's able. Now, please, 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 do not mishear me. I am not asking you to neglect self-care. All right, a healthy you is going to actually help you care for others better. But I will say, too often I think we hide behind our self-care and use that as an excuse not to show care. If you want to love like Jesus loved, there are going to be moments at times when you have to just set aside your preferences, set aside your calendar, and give your time and attention to this person to love them. So when and where? Right here, right now. Third question we're going to look at is how did he love? Or maybe another way we could put it is what did Jesus do to show his love? All right, now the, the quick answer on the service is, well, he provided healing. You're right, but there's a lot more that he did to show love than just provide the healing to them. All right, the, the first thing that he did in showing love was he did it with his presence. He loved with his presence. When Jesus uh, is with the woman, he stops and he listens to her. Have you ever been in conversation with someone who, as they're, as they're uh, talking to you, they're always looking somewhere else? I mean, they're, they're talking to you, but they seem to be always looking for someone better. And you just get the sense like, yeah, I don't really matter in this moment. They're just looking, I'm just like a, a rung on a ladder. They're looking for the next person to go and talk to. It, it does not make you feel very loved. But, but when you're engaged in conversation with someone and they like look at you and, and they're engaged, their body language says, I'm here with you. They're asking questions, responding. You feel like you matter. You feel like you're loved. You have value. That's what Jesus did for the woman. He stops all this crowd to give attention to her. You realize she had been on the fringes. No one gave her any of attention. And so not only was the healing life-giving, but her, Jesus, like seeing her, would be just as life-giving. He listened to her. But I want to point out that this type of listening, it actually requires patience. You have to be so patient. In our go, 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 go world, it's really difficult to sometimes stop and really be with someone fully because your mind is racing. You know your calendar. You're thinking, I got to get here. I got to do that. And so sometimes it means you got to kind of put that aside to be patient and really be with them. Uh, Leanne uh, used to uh, model this beautifully. Uh, when, when the boys were smaller, they loved to play the, the Nintendo Wii. But when they got done, they were not content to just head off and do something else. They would want to talk about their video games. Right? Now, if you know Leanne, she's pretty task-oriented. The last thing on her list of importance are video games. Right? I'm not sure I've ever caught my wife on her phone playing a game. Right? I have yet to wake up in the middle of the night, find her missing in bed, go downstairs, and there she is playing the Wii. Right? It's like nowhere in her frame of reference. She has no interest at all. And yet when our boys would want to talk about it, she would set aside what she's doing, and she would stop, and she'd listen. And she would even do the painful thing of asking them questions, which would just keep the conversation going more and more and more. But you know what it did? It let our boys know, I love you. 
you matter. So when you're with someone, be there. Don't just listen with your ears, listen with your eyes. Ask them questions. Let them know you have value, you matter. You might disagree with them on politics. You might disagree with them on some lifestyle choices. You might disagree with them on all sorts of things. But when you're engaged in conversation, be there with them. Love them with your presence. Another thing that we see Jesus do is not just love with his presence, but he loved with affection. He loves with affection. If you read through these two stories, you just cannot help but see the compassion just oozing out of Jesus towards Jairus and this woman towards Jairus' daughter. In fact, go towards the end of the, the passage. We're in the room where Jesus lets the parents come in and Peter, James, and John. And in verse 41, it says that Jesus, taking her by the hand, said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Now, Mark wrote this in Greek. Uh, he had uh, Greek-speaking Romans who, who read this and knew this, and, and so he's writing it in the everyday language. But when Jesus was walking around doing ministry, most of the people were speaking Aramaic. But just so he knows that people know what Jesus said, he decides to put in there what Jesus actually said, Talitha Kumi. Maybe this is like the girl's first language, but then he translated, little girl. So this is not like a magical incantation. No, this is like terms of affection. This is little girl. This is like a mom or a dad coming in going, honey, it's time to wake up. When Leanne and I lived in Venezuela, our oldest daughter, Karis, was born down there. And even though we're not fluent in Spanish, we knew just enough. And we knew that in Spanish, if you add ito or ita to the end of a word, it, it kind of shows that it's small, but yet it's important. So it's like an a, abuela, a grandma. If, if she's really precious to you and maybe kind of short in stature, you might call her your abuelita. So we had Karis. So we used to call her our Karasita. And eventually we just shortened it to Sita. It, it, this nickname showed we have affection. We love her. She's precious to us. When Jesus is in that room, he's saying, little Sita, Talitha, it's time to wake up. Rise and live. He has so much affection. But we also see the affection with the woman who was bleeding. When he stops everyone, he actually calls her daughter. She may have been older than him, and yet as the God the Son, creator of all things, he sees her like his daughter. He loves her. He has affection for her. When the men come from Jairus' house and say, hey, sorry to tell you, she's already dead. Don't, don't, you don't need to bother Jesus anymore. Jesus has affection for Jairus and says, only believe. Don't fear. Trust me. Let's keep going. Jesus loves with affection. And then I see one more thing that he does. He gave not just what was desired, but he gave what was needed. He gave not just what they wanted. He gave what they actually needed. Take the woman, for instance. What she wanted was she wanted to be healed. I mean, 12 years of a period constant. I mean, yeah, I, I could understand she wants this more than anything else. But what she needed was full restoration. That's why Jesus stops everything. She's already gotten what she wants, but he knows she needs something more. He, doesn't, he knows she doesn't need to continue to be on the fringes. So he creates the moment where she comes forward and she's now the centerpiece. She's no longer on the fringe. She has everyone's attention. She's no longer to be ignored. She's to be noticed. And Jesus praises her for her faith, raises her up, exalts her, and points to her as if to say to everyone else, she's got it. She gets it, not just the healing, 
but she is going to be restored to all of you. He doesn't give her just what she wants. He gives what she needs. Look at Jairus. Jairus just wants his little girl to be well. He doesn't want her to die. And so Jairus uh, thinks this is what I want, but Jesus knows, now Jairus, you need something more. You, You need to know that I'm not this evil tribal villain. I'm the son of God and God loves you. You need to have a clearer picture of God and his power. You need your faith emboldened and strengthened and changed. So Jesus gives him what he needs, not just what he wants. A couple of weeks ago, I went with uh, some guys down to Palo, Iowa, uh, to help with derecho relief. And the third home that we helped out at, the um, homeowner came out and he had a, quite a large backyard, a large number of trees. And I mean, it was just, his backyard was a mess. And you could tell he'd already been working on it. I mean, we were there about six days after the derecho. And this guy comes outside and he sees all these volunteers. And he starts to cry. Because he'd been working in his yard for six days. I mean, huge old trees. And you could just tell he felt like, I'm not going to get this done. And he was feeling overwhelmed. What he wanted was his backyard done, the trees taken care of. But it turns out what he actually needed was to know he's not alone. The guy ends up in tears. We, we gave him hope. And all we did was like, you know, cut some branches and move them out of the way and start to create, you know, like burn piles. It wasn't a big deal. And yet it was, it was everything to him. If, you, if you're going to really love like Jesus loved, don't just give people what they say they, they want. Seek to try to give them what they actually need. So if, if someone says, you know, I, I, I need a, a ride down to the uh, hospital. They think that's all I want. I just need a ride. But what they need is a friend who'll stay with them through the whole day. So someone might say, hey, could you, you know, like drop some groceries off on my front step? That, that's what they want. But what they need is for you to drop the groceries on the front step, take a step back, be socially distanced, and then begin a conversation with them to let them know you matter. So do what you can to not just give people what they want, Try to understand what is it that they truly need and meet that need. Go above and beyond. That is loving like Jesus loved. But I want, I want to take this last point here one step further. Because what we see Jesus do for Jairus and this woman and, and for the little girl, Jesus actually does for us. You see, if Jesus is for all, it means Jesus is for you. And it also means that God can, can love you right here, right now. And, and he's given you his presence. If you are a Jesus follower, the scriptures teach that you have been given the Holy Spirit. So God is with you all the time. He loves you right here, right now. But also it means that God is going to give you what you need, not just what you want. Maybe what you want is a new job. Maybe God knows that what you need is a deeper faith in him. Maybe what you want is a, is a, a spouse or a boyfriend, a girlfriend. But maybe what God knows you need is to understand his love for you and an intimate relationship with him. Because he knows that having an intimate relationship with him is going to make you a better spouse, a better boyfriend, better girlfriend. God loves you. So he gives you what you need, not just what you want. But I have to warn you, that kind of love creates awkward moments. Look at the awkward moment of Jesus stopping after the woman's touched him. Someone touched me. Now, I can guarantee you, Jesus knew who touched him. But he creates the awkward moment where it forces the woman out. 
Because now she doesn't just have what she wanted. She's now getting what she needs. Full restoration to the community. That awkward moment as he stopped, everything inside Jairus is like, come on, Jesus, I need you to come. My little girl's dying. We're going to be too late. And Jesus is looking at him saying, I know that's what you want, but what you need is a deeper faith. Trust me. Do not fear. Only believe. So maybe right now, as you feel like your prayers are getting stuck at the ceiling, you you feel like God has just stopped everything and and he's not attentive to your needs, Maybe what it is is he's actually trying to help get you to move away from what you think you want to actually what you need. And the reason I think you can actually trust him in this awkward moment is because of the cross. All you have to do is go and look at the awkward moment of the cross. Jesus is laying there naked, bleeding. But he did it because it's what we needed. You see, what we want in life is to be happy. But Jesus knew what we needed was the forgiveness of our sins. What we want is some autonomy. What we, we, we want to kind of be our own God, to have our own will, to get our own way. And yet Jesus knows what we need is to know God and be connected to him and his will in his way. And so when Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't to give us what we want, it's to give us what we need. And that is love. He died for all. He did it in the here and now on this earth. It's a real historical event. It really happened, and he did it for you. And so yes, I want you to go and love like Jesus. I want you showing affection. I want you listening to people. I want you fully there with them. But I think for you to get there, you have got to stop and bask in the love that God has for you. You need to look at the cross and the empty grave, see how much Jesus loves you, to see what he gave for you, and that he did it because he's for you. He did it because he showed affection for you. He knew what you needed even before you did, and he gave it to you. And as you bask in that love, I think then you'll begin to go and love like Jesus. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to become lovers that we would truly love like your son, that you would restore his image within us so that that you would then be able to send us to, to, to live like he lived and love like he loved. Lord, this world needs you so badly. Lord, there are people who are are protesting right now. They're demonstrating because they do not feel seen. They do not feel heard. They do not feel loved. And they need to know your gospel, that you see them, you love them, you are for them. And God, your chosen agent is us. Father, I know the stories of how you've sent dreams to Muslims to understand who Jesus is. And yet in every single one of those stories, you then send one of your Jesus followers to share the gospel with them. Lord, I've I've heard the stories of people who've reached the end where they realize that they can't drink enough alcohol or smoke enough marijuana to fully satisfy themselves. And they reach the point where they're at the end and then they hear your gospel from a person. So God, help us to be those people. We would be the people who'd share the gospel in our words. We'd share it through our eyes and our presence. We'd share it in our actions that we would love like Jesus. But God, for us to get there, we've got to understand how much you love us. If we try and go out and do this out of duty, we go out and do it to try to impress people, we we do it to build a certain reputation, Lord, it's going to fall flat. It will be empty because we're really doing it for ourselves. So God, I pray that you would purify our motives You'd help us to see Jesus and what he did for us through the cross. And that would motivate us to go and love like he came to love. The way he loved Jairus, 
the way he loved this woman, the way he loved a little girl, and the way he loves us. So God, help us to be Jesus-centered people. Fill us with your affection for all so that we can go and bring love into this divisive world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.